Greetings, this is podcast number 60 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today we have two segments and listener email. The keywords applicable to right-wingers in this podcast are immiseration, prevarication, and suffocation. Immiseration, as in right-wingers increase poverty, prevarication, as in right-wingers lie us into war, and suffocation, as in right-wingers deny trapped mine workers the oxygen they need to survive. Caution, you will hear Dick Cheney during this show. Let's get right into it. I want to update you on two statistics I often cite. Your ammo needs to be fresh and potent when you engage right-wingers. My sources are the Census Bureau website, the New York Times, the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, MarketWatch.com, McClatchy Newspapers, MercuryNews.com, and the Associated Press. The Census Bureau just released year 2005 data on the number of Americans in poverty and the number of Americans lacking health insurance. The numbers are not pretty for the Bush administration. I've repeated many times that every year under the Bush administration the number and percentage of Americans living in poverty has increased. Well, we can't exactly say that anymore. In 2005, the poverty level remained the same. So now we need to say, every year of the Bush administration, the poverty level has gone up, except for one flat year. Nearly 37 million Americans live in poverty, 12.6% of the population. What's critical is, this is a total increase of over 6 million people since George Bush took office. When he came into office, the poverty rate was 11.3%. Now it's 12.6%. Under George Bush's rule, 6 million more Americans have fallen into poverty. The fact that this latest year is flat over last year is no cause for bragging among the Bushians. The goal should be a reduction in poverty, not avoiding an increase one year. By the way, if you look at the actual census report's raw data, it says the poverty rate in 2005 declined a tenth of a percent from 12.7 to 12.6. But the Census Bureau itself says that's, quote, not statistically different, close quote, given the manner in which the figures are derived. So that's why news organizations are reporting the figure as unchanged. There's another really bad statistic on the poverty front. The number of those living in extreme poverty has sharply increased between 2004 and 2005. 43% of the poor earned less than half the poverty limit, the highest percentage on record. George Bush has set an all-time record for the percentage of the poor living in extreme poverty. Now, don't let a right-winger tell you, oh, all these poor people, 
They're all welfare bums anyway. Ask the right winger how many people are on welfare in this country. He or she will probably say five or ten percent of the population. The real number is 4.4 million people, less than one and a half percent of the country. And since many of the 4.4 million are children, it's safe to say that less than one percent of all U.S. adults are on welfare. Since there are 37 million people living in poverty, 37 minus 4.4 leaves 32.6 million Americans living in poverty who are not on welfare. Many of these 32.6 million people living in poverty and not on welfare are the working poor. Working full time and not being paid enough to survive, shameful, especially so in a land as rich as ours. See podcast seven for a detailed explanation of why we need to raise the minimum wage to a living wage. Let's go on to health insurance or the lack thereof. I've said many times that every year of the Bush administration. The number of Americans without health insurance has gone up. Well, I came across some stats that indicate that one of those years it was flat, but other sources still claim it has gone up every year. Your call. Most news organizations say it has gone up every year. And today's update, 2005, was definitely another year of increase, big time. In 2005. 46.6 million Americans were not covered by health insurance, including over 8 million children. That's 15.9 percent of the population, an increase of 1.3 million over last year, a total increase of 6 million since Bush took office. Sadly, quote, the spike in uninsured children. From 10.8 percent in 2004 to 11.2 percent in 2005, is the first in nearly a decade. Close quote. Nice work again, George. You know what? Why not go up to your friendly local right winger and razz 'em real good? Go up to one of them and breathlessly exclaim, "Hey!" Your boy George has finally done real well in the economic justice arena. You'll probably get a quizzical look, since the right winger probably doesn't know what economic justice means, and if he does, he'd certainly wonder what could George have done to further that socialistic goal. Then tell him last year the general poverty rate didn't increase. See what their reaction is. In any event, six billion more uninsured and impoverished Americans since Bush took office—the first spike in ten years for uninsured children, an all-time high rate of extreme poverty—and the Bushians aren't changing any policies to reverse these trends. They keep pushing for more of the same. Tax cuts that disproportionately go to those at the top. You know that expression: "If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting the results you've always gotten." The higher-up Bushians are evil, 
not stupid. They know this. We'll have to assume that the Bushians don't really care if the results change. Right-wingers obviously just consider increased poverty and lack of health insurance, increased human misery, suffering, and death for their fellow Americans as unavoidable collateral damage as the right achieves its goal of transferring wealth to the rich from everyone else. Stocking shirts in a Walmart store Just like the ones we made before Except this one came from Singapore I guess we can't make it here anymore Should I hate a people for the shade of their skin Or the shape of their eyes or the shape I'm in Should I hate them for having our jobs today No, I hate the men sent the jobs away I can see them all now, they haunt my dreams All lily white and squeaky clean They never known want, they never known need The don't stink and the kids won't bleed The kids won't bleed in the damn little war And we can't make it here anymore I would be derelict in my duty if I did not address the simply stunning recent comments by Dick Cheney. He was being interviewed by Tim Russert on Meet the Press. The primary rationale giving, given for the war in Iraq was Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> on August of 2002, this is what you told the VFW. Let's just watch it. Simply stated. There is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. In fact, there is grave doubt because they did not exist along the lines that you described, the president described, and others described. Based on what you know now, that Saddam did not have the weapons of mass destruction that were described, would you still have gone into Iraq? <laughs> yes, Tim, because what the reports also showed, while he did not have stockpiles, Clearly, the intelligence that said he did was wrong. That was the intelligence all of us saw. That was the intelligence all of us believed. It was when, when George Tenet sat in the Oval Office and the President of the United States asked him directly, he said, George, how good is the case against Saddam and weapons of mass destruction? The director of the CIA said, it's a slam dunk, Mr. President. It's a slam dunk. That was the intelligence that was provided to us at the time. Notice how Cheney twists the question into an opportunity to talk about what they knew at the time. So they made a choice based on that. What he's saying is a lie anyway. They knew they were cooking the intelligence. And Russert hadn't asked that. He asked about what would Cheney have done if he knew then what he knows now. Cheney then immediately contradicts himself when Russert, seeking to get an answer to his hypothetical, asks again. So if the CIA said to you at that time, Saddam does not have weapons of mass destruction, his chemical and biological have been degraded. He has no nuclear mm -hmm. program underway. You'd still invade Iraq. Because, again, look at the Dolfer report and what it said. No stockpiles, but they also said he has the capability. He'd done it before. He had produced chemical weapons before and used them. He had produced biological weapons. He had a robust nuclear program in 91. All of this true, said by Dolfer facts. Also said that as soon as the sanctions are lifted, they expect Saddam to be back in business. But the rationale was he had it, a growing threat. 
all the while, North Korea, which had one or two potential bombs in 2000, you came into office, now has double or triple that amount. So again, you took your eye off of North Korea to focus on Iran. So after first saying, oh, we invaded because of the info we knew at the time, Cheney then goes on to say that they would have invaded anyway, even if that info had said the opposite. Russert is clearly stunned by this, so later in the program, when the issue comes up again, Russert feels compelled to make doubly sure he has understood Cheney correctly. This is the part of the interview most included on news clips. Now, is it tough and difficult? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Um, you know, you regret every single casualty. I visit with the families. We spend time with the wounded when they come back. Uh, I visit with the troops every chance I get. It's the toughest thing the president has to do. But it is absolutely the right thing to do, Tim, because if we weren't there, if Saddam Hussein were still in power, uh, the situation would be far worse than it is today. You'd have a man who had a demonstrated uh, capacity for violence, who'd started two wars, who had in fact been involved with weapons of mass destruction, who had every tension of going back to it when the uh, sanctions were lifted. And by this point, especially with Ahmadi Najad living next door in Iran, pursuing nuclear weapons, there is no doubt in my mind that if Saddam Hussein was still in power, would have a very robust program underway to try to do exactly the same thing. The world is better off because Saddam Hussein is in jail instead of in power in Baghdad. It was the right thing to do, and if we had it to do over again, we'd do exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Yes, sir. Exactly the same thing. Have you picked your jaw up off the floor yet? So here we have conclusive evidence that, as then-Deputy Defense Secretary Paul Wolfowitz admitted, quote, For bureaucratic reasons we settled on one issue, weapons of mass destruction, because it was the one reason everyone could agree on, close quote. The Bushians were intent on going to war against Saddam no matter what. WMD was just an excuse. If it turned out not to be a valid reason, Cheney admits, no matter, we would have invaded Iraq anyway. They would have invaded Iraq anyway. And by his words, Cheney clearly makes George Bush out to be a liar as well. Here's George on October 7th, 2002. The time for denying, deceiving, and delaying has come to an end. Saddam Hussein must disarm himself or for the sake of peace we will lead a coalition to disarm him Saddam had to disarm or George would lead a coalition to disarm him but Cheney now says even if they knew Saddam had disarmed himself which he had we would have gone to war against Saddam anyway was George not lying and Cheney had just kept him out of the loop of real decision-makers? Cheney's words totally follow the line of thinking of the Project for a New American Century organization, PNAC, the influential group of neocons which started pushing for an invasion of Iraq back in 1998. Cheney, Defense Secretary Rumsfeld, and Wolfowitz, not to mention George's brother Jeb, all signed PNAC's charter. We discussed PNAC two podcasts ago. The top officials of the Bush administration came into office planning on going to war.
Cheney's words are shocking enough in and of themselves, but their confirmation of the PNAC pre-planned war angle just makes them that much more chilling. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again to kind of catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. Let's hear a word now from another progressive podcaster. In a world of insanity, one man can help you make sense of it all. It's time for America to wake up and understand what's really happening in this country. The Rampage Podcast. I'm Dan Royer, host of The Rampage Podcast. My mission is to keep free speech free and expose the truth about American politics. Join me five days a week for never-ending truth that you're not going to hear in the corporate media. Look, if you're sick of a Congress that is overspending yet underfunding, an administration that is overstepping the bounds of the Constitution and underestimating the intelligence of the American people, then you'll learn a thing or two from the Rampage Podcast. Visit the show at www.therampagepodcast.com. I promise to keep free speech free on the Rampage Podcast. Here's a real interesting listener email. If you recall, in Podcast 50, I discussed the fact that right-wingers in Congress are just all too happy to have coal miners suffocate. After two major mining disasters this year, and the highest miners' death rate in 20 years, even the right-wing-controlled Congress felt compelled to at least give the appearance of doing something to improve mine safety. A West Virginia commission composed of three union and three industry reps had concluded that trapped miners need to have available a 48-hour supply of oxygen, not the then-present totally inadequate one hour. That's because rescuers don't usually reach trapped miners for an entire day or two. Democrats in Congress readily agreed to the 48 hours, but not Republicans. They said no and only increased the required air supply from one hour to two hours. Totally useless, the trap miners will, as the right-wingers certainly were aware, still suffocate and die before the rescuers can reach them. But the dishonest right-wingers can now brag to their gullible audiences that they doubled the oxygen supply. We had also discussed how the Bush administration has packed the Federal Mine Safety Agency with industry officials and other hacks who were not properly enforcing the safety regulations. With that background, here's the email from Christian, a geologist from Flin Flon, Manitoba, Canada. I actually asked him about that city name, Flin Flon, because it didn't seem like a name that would arise from any usual city naming process. I was correct. Christian said the name comes from, quote, a cheesy sci-fi novel written in the 1920s or 30s called The Sunless City with a big green character named Flintabity Flonatin, close quote. 
Anyway, getting back to the serious stuff, Christian wrote about the mining situation, quote, I've bit my tongue about your criticisms of the U.S. government with regards to mine safety, but it's really bugging me. I work underground in a copper-zinc mine as a geologist here in northern Manitoba, Canada. It isn't a coal mine, but if we were to follow the safety procedures that you are requesting, not the ones in place, the ones they won't legislate, we would be shut down instantly by the provincial government, which I would classify as liberalist socialist. 48 hours oxygen? Come on! We have what are called refuge stations at regular mining level intervals. They are self-contained rooms with fresh oxygen pumped from the surface, enough food and water purification for a week, stretchers, and any other safety equipment that we would need. And they are sealed with shotcrete, which will withstand several full impact development blasting rounds as well as sulfide blasts. This is required and legislated by the provincial government of Manitoba. The local mine inspector visits the mines at irregular intervals at least twice a month to ensure that all rules are being enforced. And trust me, the guy is not partisan to the company. Anything but. Your government is disgraceful, as I'm sure comes as a shock to you. Love the podcast. Christian from Flin Flon, Manitoba, Canada. Close quote. Our government disgraceful? Who would ever think of applying the term disgraceful to the Bush administration? Oh, maybe six billion people? Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to that homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. Thanks so much for all of your votes. Blast the Right is holding steady at number 7 in the Podcast Alley Worldwide Top 10. It's real important to be on that list. It's on the Podcast Alley homepage and gives tons of exposure to the podcast. I have to tell you, however, there are some podcasts below me on the charts that are surging up now at the end of the month. So, please keep those votes coming in. So far, I have 235 votes. That's out of 2,300 subscribers. So, all you guys who haven't voted, I hope you'll please consider doing so. A special shout-out to all you Live 365 listeners and Red Dragon 365 listeners. You can all go to the podcast homepage and download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. You guys can also go vote at podcastalley.com. Let's now hear a word from the Progressive Podcast Network. He Hi, this is Nancy of Wake Up AM, Wake Up America podcast. Kathy, Meg, and I are proud to be members of the Progressive Podcast Network. Check out all of the great podcasts over at NewMediaRevolution.org. Music credits. The bumper music was We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Catapult the Propaganda by Nye's Music. And Not the One Blues by Bernshee Thornside. We'll close on a lighter note with a bit of Clinton is to blame by the Freedom Toast. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right are found on my music resources page. 
Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. All that excellent, excellent email keeps coming in. Thank you, and keep it up. You can write to me, rational at adelphia.net. Comments for me to play on the podcast can be recorded at 310-933-5891. They can also be recorded by dialing me up on Skype. My name there is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. (laughs) 